You're listening to The Brook in Madison, Alabama. What's up with it, Campo? Just trying to take it one day at a time. So what's up, you can't stop. All right, that is my type of music right there. That is bouncing. That's a way to do a sermon intro, a bumper video. Um, it gets you dancing, I know. Um, well, there is a saying, you get what you pay for. A saying that I'm sure we all are familiar with and one that is also true as you climb up the stairs of a subway station onto Canal Street in New York City and your eyes begin to focus in on what is known as Chinatown. And I'm not sure if you've ever been there, but I sure do remember my first experience. Um, As a seminary student, I had the privilege of living a summer in New York City. And one day, me and my seminary buddies decided, let's go see what Chinatown is all about. And all I can tell you is that I had sensory overload. Um, The sights, the sounds, uh, the smells, all the smells, some good, some really bad. And of course, the mass of people crammed on the sidewalks on both sides. And then you can't forget about the endless vendors lining those sidewalks, trying to get you to buy whatever it is that they are selling. And it doesn't take you long to realize that most people are not there to experience Chinese culture, but rather they are there to buy or to get whatever it is that their heart is set on. If you want a movie, even one that is still in the movie theater, they've got you covered there. If you want a Rolex or a Louis Vuitton bag or even the latest Ray-Bans, you can find them there as well. And here's the thing. People go to Chinatown knowing that they're not going to buy the real thing. They go there knowing that they are going to buy fake, a counterfeit, or something that looks like the real thing, that feels like the real thing, and that will even fool their friends into believing that it's the real thing, but the truth still remains. It is simply a fake, a counterfeit. And so I know people, though, they will argue, and they will say, well, why pay for the real thing when I can, that is $150 or more, when I can have something that is similar, that looks like the real thing for maybe $15 or $50. But the question I would ask you is, are they the same? I mean, just take Ray-Bans for a second. The Ray-Bans or the Fay-Bans, as I like to call them, that you would find in Chinatown or in a Guatemalan market are made in China of cheap plastic parts that will soon break, that really offer no UV protection. The logos will rub off and they'll just stop working. And because you settled for something cheap um, and they, when they break, you have no warranty backing them up. On the other hand, real and authentic Ray-Bans offer something that counterfeits do not. For one, they're not made with, uh, they don't have plastic lenses, they have crystal lenses. They offer some type of UV protection, and for a little bit more money, you can have them polarized. Also, no part of them is produced in China. Their lenses are produced in Italy. They're laser cut to make sure they're very light and comfortable. And Ray-Bans make sure that they don't use material that will peel or change shape as you use them. And to back it all up, they have an incredible warranty. And I don't tell you all that so you can run out to Sunglass Hut after this service and justify buying this expensive pair of sunglasses. But I, but I tell you this to help you and I see that you aren't just paying for the brand name. You aren't just paying for the logo, as some people suggest. You're paying for their craftsmanship. You're paying for the details and how that they're made. So it is true. You do get what you pay for. 
And this saying is true, isn't just true for something you buy. It is also very true for what you and I choose to believe. And the consequences of settling for something far less than authentic from the full counsel of God's word, they will cost you much more than a fake pair of Ray-Bans. It will cost you an eternity. And this morning as we come to 2 Peter 2 and we continue through our series, we look at chapter 2 and we see Peter is addressing a counterfeit that is plaguing the church. These counterfeits are the false teachers or false prophets, and they're proclaiming a false gospel, an easy gospel, a a gospel that is accepted by the culture. And because of it, people are lining the sidewalks to buy what they are selling. And please hear me, this morning it would do us good to not only listen to Peter's words, but to process what he is saying. For his words ring just as true today as they were back then. We have false teachers selling a counterfeit gospel from pulpits all the way to bookshelves. Ones that will tell you about a prosperity gospel all the way to others that will say you are the hero of your own story. And even to ones that will condone sin and say, hey, it's okay to live a homosexual life. It's okay to be gender neutral because after all, the Bible is out of date. It's okay to live in this lifestyle. And that is just the tip of the iceberg, folks. Because in our culture where everything is relative, you get to choose what you want to believe. You get to define truth. There is no such thing as absolute truths, and you don't have to look very far because you will find counterfeits being sold all around you. And what is sad, but not surprising, is many people line up to buy what they're selling. Jesus said, if you remember Matthew seven thirteen, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. See, many people want the brand name. They want the logo. They want to fool their friends into believing that they're the real thing, but the problem is, is they don't want to be crafted by the craftsman himself whose name is Jesus. They don't want that cost, and so they'll reason, why follow Jesus? Why take up my cross and deny myself When I can have something that sounds similar, that pats me on the back, that makes me feel good, that tells me I'm the hero of my own story, that condones sin, and it doesn't cost me anything. But boy, are they wrong. The thing is, to be authentic means you have to be crafted by Jesus. There is no other way. There's no shortcut. And no matter how you think you'll look or how you fool somebody, it will not make you authentic. And the cost of believing a counterfeit, it will cost you everything. And so this morning, as we come to Second Peter 2, Peter really wants us to see that what you are slave to will determine what you live for. That said, let's look at Second Peter 2, and let's start in verse 1. And he says, But false prophets also arose among the people, Just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who brought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemy. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, 
when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. By turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them, ex- making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued the righteous, Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the righteous under punishment until the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. Bold and willful, they do not tremble as they blasphemy the glorious ones. Whereas angels, though greater in might and power, do not pronounce a blasphemous judgment against them before the Lord. But these, like irrational animals, creatures of instinct, born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction. Suffering wrong is the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Forsaking the right way, they have gone astray. They have followed the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved gain from wrongdoing, but was a rebuke for his own transgression. A speechless donkey spoke with human voice and restrained the prophet's madness. Verse 17, these are waterless springs and mists driven by a storm. For them, the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved. For speaking loud boasts of folly, they entice by sensual passions of the flesh those who are barely escaping from those who live in error. They promise them freedom, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. For if after they have escaped the defilements of the world through the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled in them and overcome, the last state has become worse for them than the first. For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit and the sow after washing herself returns to wallow in the mire. Chapter 1 if you remember that we've been looking at for the past two weeks is mainly one of encouragement where Peter is reminding us that God's power through his son, Jesus Christ, has given us everything that we need to live a life of godliness and to resist sin. And then Paul, or then Peter in chapter one, he continues and he reminds us that this promise is not man-made. It's not simply man just writing down their own opinion on, on a piece of paper. But as verse 21 says in chapter one, but rather men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so as a believer, Peter is saying, cling to God's word, apply God's word to your life. Don't waver from it. And then Peter shifts his focus in this chapter. He moves from one of encouragement to one of destruction and one of warning. Peter is on the offensive in this chapter, and he's going after the false teachers and their followers. And this isn't some random thought that he has, and you're going, where are you going with this, Peter? Instead, it's calculated, and Peter is building off of what he's just talked about in chapter 1, moving into chapter 2. 
Remember, he's not just really speaking to the false teachers. He's speaking to the believers and to the church. And it's as if Peter is saying, hey, listen, church, don't go down. Don't buy the lies of the enemy. Don't buy what the false prophets are selling in this counterfeit gospel, even though it'll tickle your ears and it will make you feel good and it will condone sin. Don't buy what they're selling. Hold fast to the word of God. Remember, he's given you everything you need to live a life of godliness and hold fast to his word. Don't deny his word. Don't add to his word. Don't take away from his word because if you do, destruction will come. And so Peter ultimately doesn't want anyone in his day or in our day to be lured away by the false gospel that is constantly out there and constantly being proclaimed. And to make sure we don't, he leaves us with at least three important truths. The first, as a believer, it is imperative that we are able to identify the authentic from the counterfeit. Why? Well, if we are not able to identify it, slowly but surely we'll listen to the whispers that come and we'll go, "Ah, I believe that lie. And then we'll start falling along with it. And then we'll become one and we'll start proclaiming a false gospel to our family and to our neighbors and to our coworkers. So Peter in this chapter, he starts out with an alarm and he says, be alert. These counterfeits, they are among you. They have always been among you since the days of Israel. They've been in Jesus's day, primarily in the Pharisees, and they are still among you in our day and time. So he says, be alert. They're among you. But on top of that, you need to know that they come in secret. They're not like a vendor in New York City's Chinatown that will set up shop and be very visible and will scream at you, hey, please buy what I'm selling. Instead, what they do is they slither in to the church and they sit among you and they look like sheep. And they come in the form of pastors, leaders, teachers, and volunteers. And slowly but surely, what happens is they start making their voice heard. And that happens when the church starts buying what culture is is proclaiming. They start buying a culturally accepted gospel. They don't want to offend anybody. They just want to encourage everybody and pat them on their back and give them a little pep talk. And so they start buying that gospel and they stop preaching uh, the doctrine of God. They They stop having right theologies. They stop preaching about sin and how God has called them to holiness. They don't want to preach that. They just want to preach something that will tickle people's ears and make them feel good. And so they'll go out and go, man, that was awesome. I can't wait to come back because I feel great about myself. So they know how to rise their emotions, something that is feel good and positive. And when the church starts caving in, that's when the false teachers start making their voices heard. And it's because they come in secret and what they sell is so destructive. Peter lays out very clearly three ways that you can identify if they are counterfeits. And while you could find these in the first three verses, I want us to jump back down to verses 12 through 14, where I think Peter even gives a more descriptive way of us being able to identify the counterfeits. Verse 12, he says, But these like irrational animals, creatures of instinct born to be caught and destroyed, blaspheming about matters of which they are ignorant, will also be destroyed in their destruction, suffering wrong as the wage for their wrongdoing. They count it pleasure to revel in the daytime. They are blots and blemishes, reveling in their deceptions while they feast with you. They have eyes full of adultery, insatiable for sin. They entice unsteady souls. They have hearts trained in greed, accursed children. Did you catch the three ways you can identify them? 
Because the first, Peter says, that the way that you can identify a counterfeit, the first dead giveaway is in what they say. Peter says these false teachers, they're irrational creatures that you cannot reason with. They don't care what other people are saying, especially those who are teaching the full counsel of God's word. They're going to speak louder. They're going to speak over them. They're going to drown them out. And it's going to sound as if they're just making noise. They're grunting like an animal because they just keep talking and they keep talking. And what they're going to say is not just blasphemous. I mean, it is blasphemous because they don't know God. They're uneducated and they're ignorant of who he truly is. But not only will it be blasphemous, it will also be heresy, which is not the gospel. Sure, they'll have bits and pieces of the gospel in it because they want to lure you away. But ultimately, this heresy is just filled with their opinion. And they're not going to come right out and deny Jesus because that would be a dead giveaway. Instead, what they're going to do is they're going to diminish Jesus in some shape or form because ultimately they don't believe in him. As this chapter tells us, he is not their master. They've never surrendered to the lordship of Jesus Christ. So they'll offer some good sound bites, but they don't know Jesus as their savior. And here's the problem with what they offer is that what they offer will never water the spiritual soil of their lives or their followers. In verse 17, Peter would say, these are waterless springs and mist driven by a storm. What they offer is dry. They don't have any water to give. It really is just a tease. They're just a mist. It'll wet your tongue for a little bit, what they say and what they proclaim, but you'll come back wanting more and more because it will never be able to quench your thirst. It simply is a lie that will never produce any spiritual growth in your life at all. You know, for me, I love Coke. Like I drink a ton of it, especially since I have to work with students primarily. And so I drink so much that there are times that my boys will come in there and being my my health coach, they are, they'll say, hey, dad, you're drinking Coke, but you need to drink water. I'm like, yes, son, you've got me, but I still love my Coke. All right, I'm going to drink this. Let me enjoy it for a little bit. And then there's no better time to love a Coke than after you've been working in the hot yard for a couple hours and you come in and you're going, ah, my mouth is dry. I need something to drink. And then you open up that fridge and you know it because you've heard it, the angels singing over the Coke. And you're like, this is destiny. This is for me. And you're like, I've got to have a Coke. And you look at that Coke and you're going, yes, amen to the Coke. Praise him. And then you look at the water because maybe some of you have done this. I've done it plenty. I look at the water and go, ah, I know I need this water. I'll double take and I'll look at it again. And I'll be like, you know what? This is what I need. I need water to quench my thirst. But then I'll look at that Coke. I'll hear the angels singing. And then I'll think about me popping open that Coke. Y'all can hear that noise too, can't y'all right now? And the bubbling. Oh yeah, just close your eyes and picture it. And then you think about the carbonated, sugary, caffeinated goodness Hallelujah for that stuff, right? Going down your throat and you're like, amen. And so I grab that Coke and I drink it, but here's the problem. It never fixes my problem. It leaves me the same way as when I started because what it offers is just something that tastes good, but it will never quench my thirst. I'm still dehydrated and I'm still coming back for something else. What I needed was water. And in the same way, this is what the counterfeit gospel offers. It offers its followers something that will leave them dehydrated. 
It will sound good. It will appeal to them. It will be easy. It will be culturally acceptable. It won't call them to anything. And they'll go, man, I want that. I want to buy this. And so they'll go out and they'll listen and they'll sit under that person's teaching every single week. Or they'll wait till their next book comes out and go, and I got to have their book because I got to have them remind me of how good I am. And I'm I'm the own hero of my own story. I got to have that kind of stuff. But the problem is what they're offering will never quench their thirst because they're not offering the one thing that can, who is Jesus Christ alone. And so every single week, Every single book, they'll buy it because they're going, man, that, that, was, that was good. That tasted good, but I'm still thirsty. I still need more. I still need reminders of how great and how awesome I am. And I still need somebody to remind me that the sin that I'm living in is okay. But that's just the first dead giveaway. The second dead giveaway is what they do with their eyes. These false prophets, they love sin. And it won't matter what time of day whether it's night or right in the middle of the afternoon, they love sin and they don't care if they get caught. They are bold in their sin. They have this insatiable desire, Peter says, from the verses that we read, especially sexually immoral ones. And so the false teachers and its followers, their lives will be characterized by lust and immorality. But even to make matters worse, not only do they live it, but they're spreading and proclaiming that sexually immorality is okay. They're saying, hey, you've got freedom in Christ. Go ahead. Live however you want to live. Experience whatever you want to experience. It's okay. Scratch the itch. It's okay to do those things. And even though what they say will never satisfy or bring any type of spiritual growth in their life, and even though they live in blatant sexual immorality, people will still buy it. That's the second way, the third dead giveaway to determine if they are counterfeit is their heart. These false prophets, all they care about, all that they have on their mind is greed. This goes back to what he said in verse 3 when Peter said, and in their greed they will exploit you. You see, these people don't care where they're leading you to. All they care is what they can get from you. That's all they care about. Sure, what they say, it sounds good and it may tickle your ears and make you feel good about yourselves. But ultimately, at the end of the day, they don't really care about you or who you are or about your family or what's going on in your life. All they care is the money that they're going to receive from you and how they can make their wallet be filled and stuffed with more and more money. And ultimately, Peter says these three things, what they say, their heart, and their eyes are dead giveaways to to a counterfeit. They're fakes selling a hollow, destructive gospel. But Peter doesn't want us just to be able to identify counterfeits. See, as a believer, we must be able to heed the warning of future destruction while resting in the future rescue. Look back up with me at verse 9. Peter would say, then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under the punishment until the day of judgment. And especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passion and despise authority. And I want to speak to this first part about heeding the warning and then go back in to the part about being the rescue or waiting for rescue. Because you see in this first 22 or in the 22 verses of chapter 2, Peter uses the word judgment or destruction seven times. Peter is very clear in making his point very clear about this warning that there is a severe warning for these false teachers and their followers. 
They may think that they're off the hook. They might mock the, the second coming of Jesus, which is what they were doing in this passage. But Peter goes, guess what? This, God is not asleep. God will bring his judgment. He will not be mocked. And so for a time, he will withhold his judgment because he desires that no one would perish, but they would place their faith and trust in him. But if they don't, there's destruction coming. And this destruction that Peter is talking about all throughout this passage isn't that they're going to lose some followers or their book sales are going to go down. No, this destruction he's talking about all throughout it and even what they're proclaiming, he's talking about eternal separation from a holy, great, righteous, loving God. And he's saying if they continue in this path, they will live forever and eternity in hell separated from God. And to get his point across, he uses three Old Testament examples, ones that they would have been familiar with, ones that we are familiar with. The first he uses are the angels. And then he moves into the ancient world. And then he moves into Sodom and Gomorrah. And all these are very clearly showing that God will bring judgment to those who follow the things of this world rather than follow his word. Peter's saying, you may think that you're lofty, You may think just because a lot of people are following along with it that you're going to be off the hook, but God will bring his judgment. No one is outside of the realm of his judgment. If he judges angels, then who are we to think that we are above it? But hear me, while this is primarily directed, this warning, don't keep selling this, this is also for the believer to heed this warning because if we don't, we'll very easily be tempted to listen to the whispers and the lies of the enemy and we'll start buying this counterfeit gospel and we'll start living it out and we'll start saying, okay, man, he wants my best life now. So man, that sounds good to me. We'll start living it and then we'll start proclaiming it to somebody else and we won't proclaim the full counsel of God's word. We won't proclaim the gospel. And so we have to heed this warning of destruction lest we be tempted to follow along with it which means for me, as a pastor, I have to carefully examine what I'm teaching, not just to our students, but also to you on a Sunday morning. I have to ask, am I teaching the full counsel of God's word or am I just teaching my opinion? Am I standing before people just so they'll, they'll, so they'll hear something that will tickle their ears, that will make them feel good, that'll rouse their emotions? And I hope you know that here, the three pastors here at the Brook take very seriously preaching the full counsel of God's word. And God forbid if we would teach something of our own opinion. But even moving from what we preach, I have to examine my own life. And you have to examine your own life. You have to ask the question, am I sitting under teaching that preaches the full counsel of God's word? Or am I just going around from church to church looking for something that will tickle my ears and give me that boost that I need to get through the rest of the week or that will condone sin? Am I listening to things? And am I reading things that teach about the full nature and character of who God is? Or again, am I just settling for something that tells me how I can have this prosperous life right now and how I'm the hero of my own story? And then we have to look at how we're living. Am I living in such a way where I condone sin, where I think it's okay in my own life because the world is screaming, after all, everybody's doing it, or am I, is my life lined up with God and who he's called me to be? We must be on guard. We must heed the warning as believers. But as a believer, he doesn't just stop at the warning. 
What we saw in that passage in verse 9 is that we get to rest in the fact that Jesus is our rescue. He will rescue us. And that same picture and that same painting he painted of destruction with Sodom and Gomorrah and the ancient world and of the angels, Peter highlights on two men, Noah and Lot. Two men that the Lord Jesus rescues from the ungodliness around them, not because of anything that they've done, not because of their obedience, not because they merited it, but simply because God imputed his righteousness to him or to them. And it's the same for us as well. No one can be declared righteous on their own. The only way you and I can be saved from the judgment that is coming is to be declared righteous. And the only way we can do that is by putting our faith and trust in him because Jesus Christ and him alone is our righteousness. But I want you to notice something in that passage. The rescue of Noah and Lot, it didn't happen right away. Instead, what, what is highlighted here is Peter highlights that Noah was a herald of righteousness. He proclaimed the gospel until God shut the door. Lot lived righteously in Sodom and Gomorrah day in and day out, even though he would see and he would hear their repulsive, sexually immoral sin. He lived righteously. And I imagine people in, the, in that day were like, there's something different about Lot. We just don't know what it is. But I bet you they noticed him. And in the same way, it should be true of our lives that many times God will leave you in the furnace, yes, to refine you and make you look more and more like him. But he's also saying, I placed you in this place and at this time to be a herald of righteousness, to proclaim the gospel and to live righteously to a lost and dying world. And so it may feel, church family, like at times that the evil is just caving in around you. And what happens so often is we want to seclude ourselves and we just want to play it safe and get comfortable and build a bubble around us from the world because the culture is really wicked and it's evil. And God's saying, nope, I didn't cause you to call, call you to seclude yourself. I've called you to be a light in the, in the darkness and to proclaim the gospel and to live righteously and to rest in the hope that Jesus is your rescue. You can't rescue yourself. No and Lot couldn't rescue themselves. Jesus is your rescue. But Peter wants us to not only have this hope in the future rescue, but he also wants us to remind, he wants to remind us what we are called to. As a believer, you are no longer a slave to sin, but a slave to righteousness. Look with me at verse 19, 2 Peter 2. Paul says they promise them freedom, these false prophets, but they themselves are slaves of corruption. For whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. Isn't it sad ultimately what these false teachers are doing is they're proclaiming there's freedom to live however you want to live, that they can offer freedom, but ultimately all they're bringing to the table is just more chains. Sin is their master and it controls them. And it does for anybody that is outside of Christ. Sin is your master. You are a slave to sin. It has your tentacles all throughout your life. And so when it says do this or act on this, you do it because it has control over you. And so it will tell you, believe this false gospel, even though it's a lie. You must have Christ's righteousness that is the only way you can be saved. You see, you're not declared righteous by simply associating with a brand name if we're going back to our earlier illustration with the Bray Bands. 
It's not just about saying, well, I'm declaring myself righteous or I'm a Christian. You can't declare yourself righteous. And you're not declared righteous by your own merits or your own status or simply coming in on a Sunday morning and sitting and hearing godly teaching. You're only declared righteous by the craftsman. Christ's righteousness imputed to us on behalf of faith is the only way you can be saved. And when that happens, it means you and I are now a slave to righteousness. Check out what Paul says in Romans 6, 16 through 19. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin, have become slaves of righteousness. I'm speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. As slaves of righteousness, it is impossible for us to remain a slave to sin. Will you be perfect? No, you will fall, but it will not have control over you. You will be able to resist it through Christ Jesus. Our new nature, our new life, it guarantees a transformed life. This is what we call sanctification. See, justification, being declared righteous, is the first part. But your salvation doesn't stop right there at being justified. It continues. I am being saved, or I am saved, I'm being saved, and I will be saved. And and this is the sanctification process where I'm looking more and more like the nature and character of Christ. I'm being holy for he is holy. So while I'm not perfect and I'm still going to struggle through the Holy Spirit, I'm going to be able to grow and look more and more like Christ. And as a result, I'm going to be able to bear fruit. And you see, just as counterfeits, they always give themselves away. The authentic Christ follower should always give themselves away. How? By their fruit. Jesus says in Matthew 7, 15 through 20, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. And so I ask you this morning, what type of fruit are you bearing? And this morning, I I want to encourage you. Actually, I want to plead with you. Do not buy a counterfeit gospel. Do not buy something that the world is saying just because you don't want to be labeled, you don't want to have a name for yourself, you don't want to offend anybody, that all of a sudden you decide to cave and you give in on God's word a little bit and you go, okay, I can give you that. I'll I'll just ignore that, what it says in God's word. Don't buy a counterfeit gospel. Because ultimately when you do, it will cost you everything. 
and said, be like Abraham and be like Lot, to live righteously, to stand up, to be bold, to proclaim the full counsel of God's word. Even though you may be labeled, even though you will be called names, you're going, man, they need to know that Christ is my righteousness. And the Christ is the only one that they can be saved, is the only way that they can be saved. And so maybe there is some of you here this morning that you don't know Christ. My prayer today and our prayer before we, before we started our services this morning is that if there was anyone in here that didn't know Christ, today would be the day of your salvation. And so if you would love to, if you, would, if you want to give your life to Christ, we're going to have pastors up here that would love to talk with you. But then as a believer... I want to encourage you to examine your life. Are there areas that you've started believing this counterfeit gospel that you, that you think it's okay? Well, it's okay for me to live in this lust. And it's okay for me to look at these things. It's okay to buy the idea that greed and money somehow is going to satisfy me. And if I just have more and more stuff, my life is going to be better. You see, that's a counterfeit gospel as well because anything that preaches other than Christ and Christ alone is a counterfeit. That maybe if you're buying that today, maybe you just go, I got to stay right here and I got to repent for where I'm selling or in where I'm buying a counterfeit gospel. And ultimately that I'm selling it to my friends or to my family. And they're not seeing that Jesus and Jesus alone is the one who rescues and he's the one that saves and he is the one that provides and he has placed me here to make much of him. So it's my prayer this morning that as we leave, that we would be people that are slaves to righteousness and that we'd be people as God's bride that would be able to call out counterfeits. And we're just as bold, if not more bold than they are saying, hey, family, friends, don't buy the counterfeit gospel. You may not like what I have to tell you, but you need to know what Jesus has called you to. And you need to know the one true God that can save you and can rescue you. May that be what we are about. Let's pray. So, Heavenly Father, this morning, Lord, we are thankful that your word, it always speaks. It is living and it is active. So, Lord, we pray that in these next few minutes that your word would cut and show us if there are errors in our ways, that it would show us if we are buying a counterfeit gospel in just some part in our lives. If we've just tasted a little bit and we go, man, I like what they're selling. I just need a little bit more of that in my life. God, I pray that we would repent and that we would come back and say, God, forgive me. You are my righteousness and you are the one that I'm called to live for. Your kingdom is the one I'm called to advance. You're the one that I'm called to boast in and nothing else. So God, we pray that you would do a work and we pray that you would have your way. God, that you would search our hearts. God, I'm praying that maybe there's someone in here that does not know you. God, I pray that today would be the day that they place their trust in you, that you become their righteousness. And God forbid those that are proclaiming false gospels, Lord, 
even today, even in so-called churches. God, we pray that you would show them the error of their ways and you'd bring them to repentance. God, for only you can save. You are righteousness. So Lord, we welcome you in this time. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Brook. If you'd like more information about our church or what it means to follow Christ, you can visit our website at thebrookchurch.com.